conversation to share with former President Clinton how important the lives of the unborn were to church people who believe the word of God. I also shared with him how important it was that the church be allowed to pursue its mandate from Jesus Christ, preach biblical principles and holiness and righteousness without losing our tax exemption, without being punished. So honored by his presence here, happy for the opportunity to remind him that there are some things that the church cannot bow to or compromise on. But righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. Let's praise God for his coming to us today. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 5. We're continuing our series on the furnishings of the tabernacle and what their symbolic meaning is for us in the church and who love the Lord in this day and time. We've spoken about the bronze altar and the bronze laver or laver, the washing place for the priests. Now as we enter into the holy place, just to the right, is the furnishing called the table of bread. Would you repeat that after me, please? The table, the table. of bread. And Leviticus 24, 5 reads, and you shall take fine flour and bake 12 cakes with it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each cake. And you shall set them in two rows, six in a row, on a pure gold table before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each row, that it may be on the bread for a memorial, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Every Sabbath, he shall set it in order before the Lord continually, before taken from being taken from the children of Israel by an everlasting covenant. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place. For it is most holy to him from the offerings of the Lord made by fire, by a perpetual statue. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. We're going to study the word on today. We might not be running up and down the aisle when I get through. But you'll have an insight into something that is of significant importance for the people of the Lord. So we study today the table of bread and other furnishings in the court and in the holy place. This golden table with 12 loaves or cakes of bread is most difficult for me of all the furnishings to understand. Since the bread spoken of in the text is said to be in the text to be for the priests. And since they ate it, a simple explanation would be that 
It was merely there to nourish the priests while they went about their priestly duties. But I would think that there has to be more to it than merely nourishment or lunch for the priests. The brazen altar and the gold, brazen bronze laver had to do with significant, profound, basic dimensions of life in God. And would God take us so quickly from that level of the altar and of the labor to lunch for the priests? Is that all there was to it? Why would he make them wait seven days until the bread was old and hard and crusty? It was all about lunch. Why would we be snatched from the profound to the level of mediocrity in that way? Let us first understand what God intended by the institution of the table of bread and what it meant for Moses and what it meant for the children of Israel. Let's consider the construction of the table of bread itself. It was three feet long, one and one half feet wide, two and one quarter feet high, made from acacia wood, which is a very strong, durable wood. And then it was overlaid with pure gold. Gold was then the most beautiful, durable, and valuable of all metals. The bronze altar and the bronze laver were made from brass. One symbolized the atoning, substitutionary work of Jesus, and the other the cleansing work of the Spirit of God. But that having been done, they would then move from brass to gold, because everything in the holy place including the table of bread, was either made from gold or it was overlaid with gold. Some credit card companies and some frequent flyer organizations have categories. They have a silver card, a gold card, and a platinum card. And it's always disappointing to be moved from a higher level to a lower level. And so most people try to see to it that they, that they either rise higher and higher or that they at least maintain the highest level that they've reached. It ought to be the same way in our walk with the Lord. If we want to go from silver to gold and gold to platinum in our frequent flyer clubs and with our credit cards, how much more should we want to go higher and higher in our relationship with the Lord? Paul said in Philippians 3.12, not that I've already attained. I am already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold on that for which Christ has laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. How many of you are striving to go higher and higher in the Lord? Don't want to be where I was last week and next week. I don't want to be where I am this week. As I go through this Christian walk, I want to go higher and higher and higher. That's God's will for us. That's God's plan for our lives. But the wood in the table symbolized the human. And the gold in the table symbolized the divine. The table symbolized the coming together of 
and the interaction of the human and the divine. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, divine, took on humanity that he might bear us to and before God the Father. The table then represents Jesus, the Son of God, who was both human and divine. But it should also be noted that there was, according to Exodus 25, 25, a frame, a band, an elevated edge around the edge of the table about the width of a man's hand, and it was designed to keep the bread from falling off the table. If any of the loaves were to fall off, they would have to go up and over the elevated edge to fall off. And Israel was, and believers are the bread, and thus the elevated edge is there to let us know that God has put some provision in place to keep us from falling. Look at your neighbor and say, you just don't have to fall. God has made so many provisions for us to survive in him that it takes special effort to fall away from the will and the plan of God in our life. If we want him to help us, he will help us. Jude 24 says, Now unto him that's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So many are worried about their spiritual survival. They're worried about slipping over the edge. But God does not want us to be worried and anxious He's not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. If you have a willing mind, God will take care of the rest. Clap your hands and praise God. Let's go a little deeper into this. God called the bread showbread, which is translated or interpreted to mean bread of the faces, a bread of the presence. God specifically stated that he wanted this bread to constantly be in its place on the table. He wanted it to be set before him continually. Leviticus 24.8 and, and Exodus 25.30, you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. As a matter of fact, the priest had an elaborate system for replacing the, the old bread with the new bread. One priest would stand on one side of the table to remove each old loaf of bread and another would stand on the other side of the table to put it in place as soon as he could. As soon as one was moved, the other was put in its place. Most commentators feel that these 12 loaves represent the 12 tribes of Israel and that the table of bread communicated God's desire to dwell with his people, that his people should dwell with him. The implication is that God is present with his people and they are constantly before his face, that they should constantly seek his face. When you said unto me, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, the Bible says, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Tell your neighbor, God wants you in his face. Mm -hmm. We don't like for people to get in our face, but God loves it when we get in his face. We focus our attention on him. We realize that he's our source and that all must come through him. If my people that are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, heal their land. 
And if we're before the Lord, then that means we are together in this thing. When the 10 tribes split from the 12 tribes, the priests still placed 12 loaves on the table. They didn't say they're gone and that's good. Let's, have, let's go with two loaves. No, they said, Lord, bring us back together again. Let us be as one in you. The table of bread was in the tabernacle that is called the tabernacle of meeting. This applies to all of us collectively and for each of us as individuals. It's not just about the place. It's about entering into personal relationship with the Spirit of God. Always before him. Always communicating with him. Always reaching out to him. Always yearning for the more of our God. As the heart pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God. For the living God. But now let us also notice. Are you all still with me? In Exodus 14, 23, which says that he set the bread in order upon the table before the Lord. This stresses the importance of order and each person working in his own place. The Bible says you're the body of Christ and members in particular. And so many people thrive in disarray. They won't take their place and stay there. They always moving, getting up and walking in the middle of the service, carrying on some kind of conversation, pointing out the attire of somebody that you don't even know. Look at that, look at that. No, we're here to look toward the Lord. And the Lord says, look unto me, all ye ends of the earth, and be saved, for I am God, and there is none else. So these 12 loaves not only represent Israel, they represent believers today. And the bread also represented the very best they had to offer. Tell your neighbor it was the best that they had to offer. Their supply of wheat and thus of bread was very low. Wheat was a scarce commodity. As a matter of fact, it was the absence of wheat that caused God to have to send the manna from heaven among them. Centuries later, when the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, Again, they faced a shortage of wheat and constantly of bread in the wilderness. And so God again provides for them by sending manna from heaven. And now God says, even though this is a barren wilderness and wheat is very scarce and I've had to send you manna, I want you to find wheat when you place the loaves on the table in the holy place. I want them to made not be made not out of manna, but I want them to be made from wheat. I know there's a shortage of wheat, but do this for me, and I'll take care of you. When you do what you should do for God, God takes care of you. Let's look at the nature, the nature of the bread itself. It was made from fine flour. God says this is the greatest scarcity in the wilderness, but I want you to make my bread from fine flour, the best grain available. Grind it to the point and bake it in such a way that it'll be the best bread possible. It was not like the manna. The manna was perfectly healthy. The manna was God's creation, God's provision for them. But God said, listen, I want you to find something that you prepare for me and to my glory that the people would offer flour from which the cakes were made was an expression of their faith that God would provide for them. 
And we give today because the Lord has provided and because we know the Lord will provide. And so they didn't worry about tomorrow's supply of manna. They took the wheat that they had on hand, said, Lord, if we don't have any more after this is over, we're going to do it to your glory. And we know you will provide for us. And for 40 years without fail, every day except the Sabbath day, the Lord sent manna unto his people thousands and thousands of times. God worked on their behalf. And this is why we can say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. We might not have a year's supply, but we know the Lord will provide. Some of you today, you face an emergency, you face a crisis, but I assure you, my brother, my sister, if you put your trust in God and put God first, the Lord will make a way somehow. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Clap your hands and give praise to the Lord. Let the people bring bread. Let the people bring fine flour. Let the people bring that which is made from wheat, the best of wheat, and I'll take care of them in the wilderness. I want their best so I can give them my best. When you give what you might enjoy, what you might consume, then you are investing in your covenant with the Lord. He's able to supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. The people provided the flour for the cakes and God sustained them with manna for 40 years. They gave the Lord bread from the earth and the Lord gave them bread from heaven. Their supply of wheat was not enough to sustain them anyway. But when they gave it to the Lord, Jesus said to them in the wilderness, bring the fish and the loaves to me. He blessed them and broke them and gave them to the disciples. And when the disciples had given to 5,000, even though they had only two fish and five loaves, 5,000 men ate, and there were 12 baskets full left over, one for each of the disciples. Child of God, you never lose when you bless the work of God. When you give, when you share, the Lord will meet your need. And then Jesus said in John 6, 55, my flesh is food indeed. My blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abide in me and I in him. So to eat his flesh and to drink his blood is to believe on him and to come to him. So this manna, this bread, this bread made from wheat that they provided not only nourished the priests on their behalf, but it set the covenant aright and firm in the heart and mind of God and of the people. The manna more clearly, however, represents a symbol of Jesus. He shares much in common with the bread on the table, and though the manna symbolizes him, the bread also symbolizes him. Jesus suffered, and everything about bread denotes suffering. And while we're going to partake of the bread of the table, we're going to drink from the fruit of the vine. And just as Jesus suffered, everything about bread denotes suffering. A grain of wheat was cast into the cold ground, suffering. 
it germinated and it died in the ground, suffering. It gave birth to a small shoot, sprig, that had to break through the crust of the soil, suffering. Having broken through, it was exposed to the cold of winter and to the heat of summer, suffering. Soon it was assailed by wind and by rain, suffering. Then when it became a stalk of wheat, it was cut by a sharp sickle, suffering. It was threshed from husk to kernel so that it was separated, suffering. The kernels were then ground into flour, kneaded into dough, and then cast into a hot oven until they were brown, suffering. Finally, the bread was broken and consumed to satiate the hunger of men, suffering. The fruit of the vine also denotes suffering. The cluster of grapes survived until they were ripe. They escaped the, the, the mouths of beasts and they escaped the damage of the rigors of weather. But then the bunches of grapes were snatched, cut from the vine, suffering, and they were cast into a wine press until their life's blood spurted forth from them, suffering. When we come to the table of the Lord, partake of the bread and the fruit of the vine, we've got to understand that our Lord suffered for us. He bled for us. He died for us. He suffered for us. And if he suffered for us, then we ought to be able and willing to live for him. Why doesn't somebody clap your hands and give praise to God? Your Lord and my Lord left the comfort of heaven and faced the challenges of earth. He was born in poverty. He lived in obscurity. He tried to help a world that rejected him, that ultimately hung him on a rugged cross. Nails were driven into his hands and feet. He hung on that cross until he was dead, suffering. But thank God, God raised him up on the third day, alive and well. Our priest was willing to suffer and to die for us. He humbled himself and became obedient even to the death of the cross. And wherefore, God has exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord of all. So the bread of the communion, he says, this is my body broken for you. And then Paul tells us that we are the body of Christ and we're members in particular. So in a sense, Jesus is bread to us and we are bread to him. Maybe this is why he said, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. There's one more thing I just want to observe before we close this message, that each time that the bread was placed in place on the table, frankincense, a beautiful, sweet-smelling incense was placed in a golden bowl and placed on top of each row of loaves. Associated with this was the fact that not only was the bread for the Lord, but the incense being placed on the bread took on the nature of the bread and thus could be offered from the bread. At the beginning of the week, the loaves of bread would be placed on the table and on each row a bowl of incense was placed. At the end of the seven days, the bread was 
to be replaced and it was to be consumed by the men of God. But the frankincense was lifted from the bread and carried to the golden altar that we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about the altar of incense. The incense from the table of bread was carried to the altar of incense. And when they set that incense on fire, a sweet fragrance flowed throughout the holy place. And God himself said, I'll receive that as your worship. When the burning incense sent up fumes of perfume and beautiful odor, God himself was pleased because that symbolized their praise. The incense burning was a symbol of their praise. So they went to the brazen altar, got their sins forgiven. They went to the brazen laver. God washed them and made them clean and white as snow. And when they were washed and forgiven, they went through the door of the holy place, went over to the table of bread, and said, Lord, we are for you, and we're ever before your face. We're here as your people, and we praise you that you hold us precious in your eyes. Child of God, you are before God. You are in God's face, and the mind of God is always on you. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, God has been thinking about you. And so we praise him and thank him. And we offer up an incense of praise as unto the Lord. Come on, clap your hands and give praise to the Lord. Hallelujah. The burning incense was a symbol of praise. It was a symbol of worship. We praise him for what he's done for us. Has the Lord done anything for you? Do you have anything that you ought to praise God for? Praise him for life. Praise him for health. Praise him that he brought us from a mighty long way. Tell your neighbor the Lord has brought me from a mighty long way. As I look back over my life and see where the Lord has brought me from, I've just got to praise him. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, God has been good to me, and I've got to praise him. Praise him for what he's done. Praise him for who he is. He's Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the ending. He's God all by himself. All power is in the palm of his hand. I've got to praise him for who he is. I've got to praise him because I believe him. Faith does not stand where it is. But faith walks into the future, visualizes what God is going to do. And before God has done it, faith praises God. Faith blesses God. Bless the Lord, 
oh my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Praise him for what he will do. Praise him for what's on the way. Don't wait. Don't wait till the battle is over. Shout right now. Tell two people, shout right now. If he hadn't healed you yet, praise him anyhow for your healing. If you run out of money, praise him anyhow for the blessing he's going to send. Praise him until you get it. Praise him until it happens. Clap your hands and praise him. Praise him. Yes. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Because your praise will defeat the enemy. Your praise will cause you to overcome. The people began to sing in 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 22. And they began to praise. And when they began to sing and praise, their enemy was all around them. But the Lord began to set ambushments against their enemy. The Lord began to smite their enemy. They didn't have to fight. They didn't have to do battle. They never picked up a weapon. But because they praised God, God moved on their behalf. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, if you praise God, God will move on your behalf. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Praise him. Praise him. Because the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. The Lord occupies and is thrown in our praise. So we go from the brazen altar to the brazen labor, to the golden table, to the altar of incense, to the candlestick, all made of gold. God takes us higher and higher, level by level, from bronze to gold. Tell your neighbor, God gonna take you from bronze to gold. God has a miracle with your name on it every day. We're going higher. Every day, we're getting closer. Pretty soon, we're going to stand before the veil. The veil will be rent in twain. We'll come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, when you look for me next week, don't look on this level. I'm going higher. I'm going better. God has something better in store for me. Help me praise him. Help me praise him. Help me praise him. Yes. 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 They gave God their best. And when they gave the Lord their best, God took them higher and drew them closer. I don't know about you, but I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm upward bound. Lord, plant my feet higher, higher. Raise your hand and say higher, higher in praise, higher in faith. 
shed on our behalf. We've been washed with the washing of regeneration by the Holy Ghost. God cleanses us and washes us so that we can come before him. And then we're before the Lord's face as we on the table of bread, the table of faces, always before the Lord. And from the incense we offer up the sacrifice of praise. I invite you, my brother, my sister, come to the altar. Come before that place where Jesus sacrificed for your sins. You deserve to die, but he died in your place and rose again from the dead to let you know that his sacrifice had power before God. All of your sins can be forgiven. They're under the blood of Jesus. If you'll trust him, he'll give you life eternal. He'll give you abundant life, life like you never thought possible. Jesus loves you. You're before the face of God on today. The Lord extends his mercy, his love in your direction. You don't have to be the same anymore. The Lord can make that change. He can transform your life. If he can rise from the dead, there's nothing he can't do. So I invite each one of you to accept the Lord Jesus as Savior. This is your day, your time. I want to pray for you, and I'll pray for you right where you are, right where you stand. Every sin you've ever committed can be forgiven, and your life can be changed in the name of Jesus. If you want it, I need to know that you desire it. And if you just lift your hand as your way of saying, Preacher, pray for me, he'll come into your life. And you'll never be the same again. Every eye is closed. Every head is bowed. Lift that hand if that's you. Jesus, I want to be saved. Forgive my sin. I want to live for you. I want to live by your power and by your word. Jesus will do it for you, and you'll never be the same again. So I'm come that you might have life abundant and that you might have it more abundantly. Lift that hand, let me pray for you. Thank you, dear Lord, for those whose hands are uplifted. Thank you for your presence, your power. Thank you that, Lord, in the tabernacle we have an image, a vision of what you will do in our lives. You'll forgive us and wash us and wash us and forgive us. 
You'll place us before your face and you'll cherish us so that we'll become a part of you. Thank you, dear Lord, that our praise is a sweet incense to you. And you bless us when we praise you and when we worship you. Let your will be done and your power be felt in the life of those whose hands are lifted. Say this prayer after me, please, dear Lord. I'm sorry for my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong I've done and the wrong I have been. I want to be saved. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for me. I believe he arose from the dead. I accept Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. And I thank you, Lord. I am saved. Everybody who's saved, yell it out. I am saved. If you prayed with me, yell it out. I am saved. I am forgiven. I have new life. Give praise to the Lord. The Lord is here. Hallelujah. Mercy is yours. Forgiveness is yours. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.